This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's been another exciting week on the Ontario election trail. Agree or disagree, Tim Hudak's plan for more jobs while promising to cut 100,000 public sector workers continues to dominate the campaign. And two major polls have different parties leading the race. We'll find out more in this week's edition of our special Zoomer election panel. Also, if you look up to the skies this weekend, you'll see birds, many, many of them. It's the busiest time of year for northern migrations. Birding guru David Allen Sibley will tell us why bird watching is one of North America's fastest growing hobbies, and we'll take a look at the brand new second edition of his definitive guide to birds. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. A plan in Australia to raise the state pension age to 70 is being criticized as unfair for those in physically demanding jobs, the poor and Indigenous people. Raising the pension eligibility age from 65 to 70 by 2035 was one of the measures in the Australian government's budget released this week. The opposition Labour Party is promising to oppose the change in parliaments on the grounds that no other wealthy country has suggested making its citizens work until they turn 70 before they can collect a pension. Most other Western countries are raising the age of eligibility to 67. Some prominent Canadians have added their voices in favour of the controversial Right to Die campaign. Margaret Atwood, David Suzuki, Adam McGoyan, and former Toronto Mayor David Crombie are some of the newest patrons of Dying with Dignity, an organization that advocates for assisted death as an end-of-life option. Currently, assisted suicide is illegal in Canada. However, a case in British Columbia is bringing the issue to the Supreme Court for the first time in over 20 years. And Stephen Fletcher, the quadriplegic conservative MP, has put forward two private members' bills to legalize assisted dying. Moses Neimer, the owner and operator of this radio station, is one of the lead patrons of Dying with Dignity. If you have high blood pressure, yoga just might help lower it. A new analysis of past studies done in Germany found that yoga helped patients who were taking blood pressure medication at the same time, but not those who used it as an alternative to drugs. However, there were some limitations in the methods that were employed, which means more research is needed. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. PC leader Tim Hudak's vow to cut 100,000 public sector jobs while creating a million new jobs continued to dominate the Ontario election campaign. 
Meanwhile, two major polls showed two very different results. According to a forum research poll, Kathleen Wynne's liberals are in the lead now with 38% popular support. However, an Ipsos Reid poll shows Tim Hudak's Tories are leading with 39% and the Liberals are in second place at 30%. For a look at the issues driving those numbers, I'm here with John Wright, Senior VP of Ipsos Global, Susan Ang, CARP's VP of Advocacy, and Dale Goldhawk, host of Goldhawk Fights Back. We did the polling on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, so people had actually Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and during the course of the week to react to that. We didn't have much of a a dent uh, in terms of the support for the Tories. In fact, what you really have to understand when looking across the province is it's a very different perspective in downtown Toronto versus the 905, which is basically the same conservative stronghold that Stephen Harper had. Then you go into Central and eastern Ontario, and you get a very, very strong Tory support, and then into southwestern Ontario where they're coming forward. So, you know, the, the reality here is that we've got 73% of people who want change in this province, and it does remind me a little bit of the Rob Ford situation where, you know, he, he became the juggernaut of thought for change, and at the end of the campaign when all of his stuff came out about him being in Florida and a whole bunch of other things, uh, you know, on his uh, drug uh, past, uh, people just went right by that and voted for him rather than George Smitherman. I'm getting the sense from the numbers that Tim Humadak may be saying things that in certain parts of the province, you know, are, are causing some concern, but, uh, but across the board... When you get 73%, the largest number of people I've ever seen in 25 years of polling saying that they want to change, I think they're listening to the message and not necessarily listening to the substance of it. Dale, what do you think? Well, I, I, I think I agree with some of that sentiment, John, and I, I'm still getting a lot on a daily basis, a lot of people who are uh, begrudgingly saying they might, I, I think I'm getting more PC uh, support than, than the other parties. But I'm getting an awful lot of, you know, I'm having trouble trusting any of the, th- uh, of the three major parties. I need more detail on some of these somewhat convoluted promises. What does it really mean? Susan? I think trust is a big issue and continues to be a big issue. And when people start distrusting politicians, they vote the current government out doesn't matter if the person they actually distrust is somebody else, but they vote against government, you know, writ large. And I think that's something that's happening here. John, um, you did another poll that showed that economic issues are at the top of voters' list. So is that more important than the trust thing? Yeah, in fact, it does. When you go across and you ask people their first and second uh, reasons as to what the issue is that is is driving them to the ballot. Clearly, jobs and the economy are at the top of the list. It's followed then by a series of other things: uh, lower taxes, balancing the uh, the deficit, and getting spending under control, energy prices, and then integrity. What's interesting to me in all of this is that when you cross-tabulate that by voters who are committed to go to the polls, you find that all three parties have as their most important issue um, the economy and jobs banners. We had a number of people on the radio today who've been looking for work for years. They don't know who's going to get them the job. They don't have much faith in the fact that the government can really create a job for them. They're just hoping somehow. The, The unsaid hope seems to be can't somebody make this economy work a little better in order for us to get the jobs? But to promise a million jobs, I, I, I don't think that 
kind of promises going over at all. I think Dale's right. People right now, in Ontario especially, given the economic forecast, are just looking for somebody to do something. And as a result, the Liberals have been in power now for a decade, and they don't feel confident that they're the ones that are going to do the job. I think what we're, we're going to see over the next while is the advertising is going to hit. I think all of the parties are going to open up a can of whoop-ass on each other. We're going to see after a week leading up to the, uh, the, the debate where people are, but it'll be incumbent upon the NDP to determine and to identify what they stand for. Because if we stay where we are right now with the NDP getting a certain amount of support and the Liberals getting another support, then Mr. Hudak you know, will claim victory. There's no way to stop him if they're splitting on the left. Susan, you're shaking your head. Yeah, I'm finding that as I watch the first couple of weeks of this campaign, there's more and more divergence between the politics and the substance. You know, when you try to parse it down, as we often try to do, as to the kinds of issues that, and the issues that are at risk, you know, people's livelihoods, getting jobs, making sure they can make ends meet, making sure that their children can have jobs, that they will have a decent retirement. All of these issues that really matter to people, they're going to be healthcare workers to help us through things, that those issues seem to be off the table. Now we're two weeks in, and I don't think that we really have a grappling on the issues. I'm thinking maybe that um, uh, my listeners would uh, like a little more of the John Wright patented whoop-ass to happen. Oh. Maybe if we get a little more interaction and, and fight out of the three leaders, that's something that's going to help focus more and more attention. Compared to past campaigns, this is like kindergarten so far. The real question is how many people have not made up their mind, and, and on what basis are they going to be able to do that? We may find right now that close to 60 or 70 percent of those who are willing to go out and vote have already made up their minds. So you're looking at only, you know, 20 points in total that could switch one way or the other, and I'm with Dale on this. I think that, you know, the issues that are important, we haven't seen it really mix up yet, and I think that comes the week that the election um, uh, advertisements start. Okay. Thank you all, and uh, we'll meet back again same time next week. See you then. Bye-bye. Bye. We'll keep you up to date on all the major election issues with our special Zoomer election panel over the next few weeks. I'm Libby Nimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Are you looking for a way to get back in touch with nature? Many of us are. This is one of the reasons bird watching is one of North America's fastest growing hobbies. My next guest is the author and illustrator of The Definitive Guide to Birds. David Allen Sibley will join us after the break. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. The Victoria Day weekend also marks the peak of the spring bird migration in the northern U.S. and here in Canada. Birding is one of the fastest growing outdoor hobbies and a big favorite with Zoomers. Why is that and how can you get started? I'm here with birding guru David Allen Sibley, author of the newly minted second edition of the Sibley Guide to Birds. I can say in my lifetime, 40 plus years of of birding, it has grown exponentially. And why do you think that is? One of the things I think that that's happening is um, just people are looking for a, a connection to nature. Our parents and grandparents, 
were much more in tune with nature in the course of their daily lives. They lived on farms, rural places mostly. They knew birds without being birders. It was just part of their daily routine, the things they noticed, the change of seasons and the flowers and birds migrating and all of that. And our lives now are more disconnected from nature. And I think that part of this increase in popularity of birding is just that it's a fun and easy and exciting way to get yourself up at five o'clock in the morning and go out no matter what the weather is to see some birds. But really the thing that people are craving is just being out there to see the sunrise and feel the weather. And, you know, you see a fox or a mink or a, you notice everything that's going on. So it's all about being sort of in touch with the, the cycles of nature. I was never taught. I don't know one bird from another. Yeah, but there are birds everywhere. Right now in May, we're looking at this huge movement of birds from south to north, from south and Central America, north to uh, Canada and the Arctic. And uh, a lot of those birds stop off in city parks. Is this really the best time of year for bird watching? It is one of the most exciting times, yeah. Any time of year is a good time for bird watching, but but in the spring is when there's just this huge movement of birds compressed into just a few weeks. We have had a very long and difficult winter. Is that going to affect anything at all? Some of the early migrants are affected. The ones that would normally arrive in late March or early April might be delayed a few weeks. But by now, things are closer to being on schedule. In a, a more general way, does climate change affect uh, birding and the migration of birds? It does. And in my, my 40 years or so of birding, I, I started birding in Connecticut in the 1970s, and now I live in Massachusetts. And in between, I lived a lot of other places. But I do have this sort of bookends 40 years apart of, of getting familiar with the birds of that region. And there's some very big changes a lot of it can be sort of attributed to climate change, that southern species have moved north. Birds are wintering farther north than they used to. Spring migration is earlier in most years, not this year, but most recent years the spring migration has been um, quite a bit earlier than it used to be, and fall migration is later. You've just come out with the second edition of the Sibley Guide to Birds. Uh, what is bigger and better in this book? Well, I... I touched up a lot of the artwork. Um, I added about 600 completely new paintings to the 6,000-plus that were already in the book. I added 100 new species, mostly rare visitors, but it increases the number of species to uh, over 900. Most of the text was rewritten. It's uh, essentially a completely new remade book using a lot of the raw materials that were in the first one. What advice do you have to somebody who is a beginning birder? Well, you need a field guide. So you need a, a book that tells you the names of the birds and shows pictures so you can start to identify them. And spend some time at home just leafing through the pages of that book. Um, the more time you can spend just browsing the book, reading the names of the birds, looking at the pictures, you'll start to make some associations without even realizing it at at first, just the names of some of the birds, the warblers and vireos and scoters and egrets, these strange names that some of the birds have will seem really foreign. But after you uh, have been through the book a few times, you'll have a picture associated with those names. 
and you'll start to recognize some of the things that all of the warblers have in common and all of the vireos. And that's uh, the first step to um, being able to identify them. When you're in the field, if you look at a bird and, and think, I don't recognize that, but it looks like a warbler. So I'm going to look in the section of the book where the warblers are. The first 25 or so species that you identify are the hardest. And everywhere, no matter where you live, there should be a, a nature center or a, a park or a refuge that offers bird walks. And beginners are always welcome on these bird walks. And if someone can point out a bird and say, that's a song sparrow or that's a yellow warbler, it really simplifies those first few species that you learn. And once you've got those down, it becomes much easier to add to your repertoire. It's just a really fun continually exciting and rewarding hobby. Okay. David Allen Sibley, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. The second edition of the Sibley Guide to Birds is published by Knopf Canada. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Today would be the birthday of a man who captured America's heart over 50 years in music and television. In just a moment, we'll look back on the incredible life of Perry Como. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by Chartwell Seniors Housing, making people's lives better. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your international arts datebook. Tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. In Washington, a new exhibit of signed Time magazine covers takes us back to the years between 1964 and 1974. The late collector Jerry Gottlieb got autographs for more than 250 people featured on Time, including all four Beatles and the Apollo 11 astronauts. The exhibition is called Moments in Time. To London, England, where George Orwell's 1984 has been adapted for the stage. 1984 is at the Playhouse Theatre. And in Rome, see more than 150 works by the father of pop art, Andy Warhol. The exhibition includes a series of Polaroids seen in Europe for the first time. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. Today marks a major anniversary for one of the world's most beloved entertainers. On May 18, 1912, Perry Como was born. He was one of the great 20th century crooners. His silky, smooth, baritone voice brought him fame as a singer in the late 1930s. But what pushed him to the next level of stardom was the way he embraced the budding medium of television. Starting in the 40s, he was invited into America's living rooms every week with the Perry Como Chesterfield Supper Club. It was one of television's first variety shows, and Como's casual, personable, and likable approach to hosting resonated with audiences. Como was also known for his strict adherence to good taste. He wouldn't sing any lyrics or perform any skit on a show that he felt went against decency or upstanding values. In fact, during the filming of the Perry Como show in the 50s, he would often duck out of his Saturday rehearsals for a short time to go to confession. Perry Como remained a regular fixture on television until the end of the 60s. After that, his appearances were limited to an annual Christmas special. However, he continued to tour as one of the world's most popular singers, selling out concert halls all around the world well into his 80s. 
Perry Como passed away peacefully in his sleep just six days before his 89th birthday. Right now, we'll travel back to the 1950s and hear the theme song to the Perry Como Show. Here is Dream Along With Me. Dream along with me I'm on my way to a star Come along, come along Leave your worries where they are Up and beyond the sky Watching the world roll by Sharing a kiss aside Just use your imagination On a cloud of love We'll hear the music of night We can wake at the moon As we hold each other tight And if we go in the right direction Heaven can't be very far Dream along with me I'm on my way to a That was Perry Como with Dream Along With Me. Como was born on this day in 1912. He passed away on May 12, 2001. And that brings us to the end of another edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Please come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Snyder. Produced by Paul Thomas. Program Director, John Bandrill. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review. Heard every Sunday at noon on AM 740 Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network. Home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.